0: Ten years ago, then-Mayor Rahm Emanuel conducted one of the largest mass school closures in the nation. And Chicagoans are still feeling the effects today. Now, over the past few weeks, WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times have been publishing and airing stories on the closures and their impact. Now, the latest reports in the series look at what happened to the schools that absorbed students after the closures. And joining us now to discuss is WBEZ education reporter Sarah Karp and Sun-Times education reporter Nader Esau. Great to see you both. Good hey. So before we talk about this latest report, I want you to just remind us why were 50 schools closed in the first place, uh, Sarah? And and what was the rationale that uh, Mayor Emanuel gave to the public back then?
1: So the reason why he said that these 50 schools needed to be closed was because they were a combination of under-enrolled, underutilized, and poor-performing. And what he and um, then-CEO Barbara Bird bennett said was that what they wanted to do was to shift money from these schools so that they could better resource other schools
0: yeah and and how serious were those issues
1: well they were serious i mean what what the, I can tell you what the school district said because there's a lot of controversy around it but what they yeah. were saying is that um essentially the school district had 500,000 seats for at the time 400,000 students. And so there is that mismatch. They also made note that a lot of the buildings were, you know, very, um, very much in need of repair and were old. And so the the idea was, you know, you you take these old buildings sort of off the, off the rolls and so you don't have to repair them. You, you know, you get out all those costs and then, um, you know, you also don't have to have you know a teacher, uh, not a teacher, a principal or a counselor for for schools in which there aren't that many kids in them.
0: Yeah, tell us more, Nader, about the uh, the benefits that the the mayor and CPS officials back then were saying would be the result of these closures. I know they were also saying, you know, the, the kids would be better off.
2: Yeah, and that's the sort of core promises we looked at in this series, where they said the students would be be better off, they would perform better academically. They said they would end up going to better schools. You mentioned that at the top, the schools that uh, received the students from the closings, that those schools would be invigorated with new resources, sort of change uh, the students' trajectories. And they said that the buildings that were left vacant, there were 46 of them, they would sort of be reborn as community assets, community hubs, just in some way helping the community.
0: When we talked to you last, when when the series launched I asked both of you whether those goals were met, right? And and how you would actually rate how effective the closures were. So Nader, here's a little bit of what you had to say.
2: One, if that's the lowest you can go. And I think an important thing to note here, too, is we sort of discovered in this reporting, to be able to keep a promise, you have to track whether or not you're keeping it. And nothing has been tracked.
0: So you gave it a whopping one, and Sarah, you said zero, right? This is out of 10. When those schools closed, where did the students go? So they
1: they were supposed to go or they were, you know, recommended to go to what they called welcoming schools. And those were, you know, 50 schools that were close to the, the school that was closed and also had a better rating. So um, at the time, we were doing one, two, and three ratings. So they were, you know— at least marginally better than you know on paper than the schools that closed mm-hmm. and and those those were the schools that they were sent sent to and then one one note is that a lot of kids though didn't go to those schools um for a variety of reasons i mean even before the schools closed the parents of those those children sometimes were saying like look, the the school you want my child to go to, they'll have to cross a busy street. There's no way I'm sending my kid there. Or, you know, there are some other concern, safety concerns around, you know, maybe, you know, gangs or other things. But also, you know, people choose to send their kids to schools, you know, based on – um they're feeling they felt like a different school was better for their child, yeah. and so a lot of people. I think only about half of the kids from the closed schools actually went to the designated welcoming schools.
0: Wow. So, so Nader, I mean, did absorbing students at these welcoming schools? I mean, did it hurt or help with enrollment over time?
2: Well, like, did things get better in the first year after the closings? There was a big. Big uptick in enrollment at the welcoming schools. It went up about 9,000 kids. Um, and, you know, these buildings, we, we talked to some people at, uh, who worked at those schools, who had kids at those schools 10 years ago, nine years ago. And I mean, in some places it was chaotic. There was just, they were overflowing with kids. Their planning wasn't all that robust. So you didn't know what to do with all the extra kids. They're just, their people weren't prepared to receive all these students. So.
0: Yeah and at the time the the district said it was investing 155 million dollars into these welcoming schools sarah that you know would absorb students from the schools that were closing down i want to play a little bit of what then cps ceo barbara bird bennett said was in store for the kids who would be moving to these new schools just think if our children had access to 21st century libraries just think if they had uh, labs where they could do science experiments. And just think if they had an art room or a kiln or um, a play, a dance studio. This is what our children want. This is what our children need. This is what other children have. Did they get those dance studios and kilns and art studios?
1: You know, the, the, that um, listening to that always makes me sort of chuckle because- No, I don't think that there's many Chicago public schools with kilns, um, (laughs) you know, so um, even post the closings. And, you know, maybe there's a few high schools with some dance studios, but not many elementary schools. So I I don't think that that they got those things per se. But um, there was an effort to make some schools, um, specialty schools like fine arts schools, STEM schools, international baccalaureate schools. And those schools did get, you know— um, you know, maybe the fine arts school did get an art room, you know, so or okay. or the the STEM school did get a science lab because that would be a sad STEM school without a science lab. Right. So, um, you know, so they did get some things, but they and they also wound up get wound up getting a lot of technology. Um, the, each kid was you know guaranteed an iPad or a Chromebook, so they did get those things. And you know, we we did talk to some principals of from those welcoming schools who are still at um still at those schools and they they said you know they really did welcome that investment because you know like so many schools in Chicago those they had been wanting for for things and for you know it also came with repairs you know this yeah. one principal told me his his wall got you know his walls had holes in them and they got you know plastered and repaired and you know that it took closing schools to do yeah. that
0: so the 155 million did get used for something.
1: Yes, they did.
0: And so let's talk about that—that that shifting around, right? They're moving around. Your, your findings showed Nader that more kids were changing schools often, even after the city closed the, the 50 schools. So, I'm curious what impact that had on their academic success. Then,
2: well, you're right. They did—they did transfer a little bit more often over the course of the rest of their academic career. And you sort of look at that practically speaking, these families, um, these parents of these kids, they had already picked a school. There, it's A lot of times it's like the school a couple blocks down, uh, they can walk to it, they know a lot of people from the neighborhood there, and they were comfortable with it. Once that closes, you have to start looking for options. And you might try one, you don't like it, you try another, and that's where you get these kids bouncing around I mean, we we were astonished looking at the data. It's not many, but there are some kids that transferred like 11 times in their elementary wow. school careers.
0: And, and what demographic of students are we talking about when we talk about who's struggling the most after those closures?
2: Well, the, the closings affected um, definitely disproportionately black students and communities. Eighty-nine percent of the kids in the closed schools were black. And at the time, about 41% of students in all of CPS were black. And so it it had a very high disproportionate uh, effect on black students. And yeah. back to your question about um, academics, the promise that we talked about was that they would do better. And they didn't necessarily always do worse, but they certainly didn't do better. And you look at the sort of chaos and disruption. It caused a lot of people's lives Mm -hmm. for basically to do the same academically or to be bouncing around from school to school. Even CPS CEO Pedro Martinez today says that cost wasn't really worth the benefit.
0: A common theme through your reporting is is parents wanted to see their schools invested in, not closed down. What were the parents looking for specifically as far as investments?
1: So I think that that's a lot of the schools that closed the parents would have loved to see um to see all those iPads come through and also to to see the Chromebooks but also just see more staff and see you know see a more robust school that could maybe attract kids you know uh, one of the things that we're not really talking about here is why schools were so under enrolled and you know that that didn't just come you know come by osmosis i mean there yeah. there was a loss of population in chicago but also chicago at the same time that the the city was losing population was also adding schools right and left i mean the charter schools were you know all the way through the you know from you know like 1999 on were adding you know uh, you know like 100 110 schools and so you have all these charter schools and then fewer students, and then you get these elementary schools who are not that well invested in, and then they don't wind up attracting kids. They Mm -hmm. wind up losing them to the charter schools. And so, you know, this is this was, you could say, a crisis if you say that under-enrollment is a crisis. But at the same time, this was, a lot of people point out, sort of a manufactured crisis.
0: How long have you two and, and sometimes investigative reporter Lauren Fitzpatrick as well as Alden Lowry of our uh, data projects uh, team, how long have you been analyzing all of this, this data?
2: We've been looking at it since the fall. Uh, just uh, the, the series in general, visiting the buildings, yeah. and then the, the past uh, month or two, have been really digging into the data about the kids and yeah, the well so Yeah, and what would um, you
0: say was the most surprising piece of this that you you've discovered? I mean, in all transparency, you were the one, I think, that did not cover this when it originally happened 10 years ago. Right, Nader?
2: Yeah, I, I was not, uh, had not yet started my career. So, um, no, I I think, I also want to mention Kate Grossman, too. She's been a big part of this BZ um, education editor. Um, it, it was It was sort of interesting to see just on paper playing out in data where kids went because mm-hmm. you you sort of when we talk about 50 schools we talk about 13,646 students we we talk about 49 welcoming schools they're just a lot of numbers Numbers, and yeah. you sort of then see in in data where they went or kids that sort of fell off the map dropped out you there's no more record of those them those numbers become people yeah and right? and and then we go through and we talk to the people we talk to families kids and we, Sarah and I, uh, went to this uh, school in Chatham a few weeks ago. And it, it's this big, like, cafeteria room. There's 30, 40 kids maybe. All of them, like a, a high percentage of them we found in our reporting at that school had been uh, at a school that closed in in 2013. And they're now high school juniors, seniors. You ask the room full of kids and almost none of them remember that they were at a closed school and no one raises their hand no one really thinks uh, Mm. anything of it and that's the thing that that I think strikes me a bit is they had so much change they had they had all of this disruption but for the littlest kids they didn't really remember it and then we talked to kids who were older at the time, fourth grade, fifth grade, right. sixth grade. It it really um, sticks with them. I mean, and
0: some of them, as your previous reporting showed, I mean, some of them were speaking out, too, right? And. and really being vocal. Uh, so we'll leave it there. I know that you're still working on the final part of your your series and it's coming out this Thursday. Right, Sarah?
1: Right. And there might even be something after that. So okay. hold on.
0: <laughs> All right. The reporting continues. Sarah Karp is an education reporter for WBEZ and Nader Issa is an education reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. Thank you both.
1: Thank, Thank you. you.